Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Gravity Podcast, back again, coming at you every week, whether you want it or not, but you're listening, so I'm assuming yeah, you do. Yeah, there's something about this episode con- you were like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune yeah. in. I mean, it's assumed that there's consent when you hit play, right? Like you <laughs> right. want me to talk to you right now. Right, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. you, you want to play Somebody the audio file that we recorded. <laughs> I, yeah, they're, sure. They're like, oh, they were we're like done. This, I gave this here. podcast seven seconds, yeah. and that guy- <laughs> out of here. Didn't you just gotta give? Some, yeah, you gotta give my humor time to grow. You know, in there's you. some there's some people who click because they're interested in the in the topic, and then I just want to say I know there's other people who listen to every one of our episodes. They yeah. just they're tracking with us, and yep. I just want to say thanks to yes. the to y'all who are just like you know I don't know who this person is or I don't know what this topic's about, but I want to tune in. I want to hear what's going on. So yeah, we we, lo- we love that. Can I'm I give finding? A, okay, can I give some evidence of that? Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Sure. You, want to, you want to share your findings first? Yeah, I'm finding uh, that I feel uh, encouraged. I wrote this in the um, the, the Gravity Links uh, email, which if you're not signed up, you can go to oh. gravityleadership.com slash join and join mm-hmm. us. And I'll send you an email on Fridays uh, with Essential curated blurb. links. It's fun. Um, we got we to blurb that. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I wrote this to our uh, readers, and I'll say this to our listeners, that I'm finding... <laughs> Uh, just encouragement um, in family and in friends and in the gravity community. Mm-hmm. Just that there's people who want to who want to journey with us, who want to yes. grow, who want to figure out how to follow Jesus in these uh, crazy times. Yes, and it's just uh, it's deeply encouraging to me. So yes. thanks, consistent listeners. Love you guys. Yeah, that's great. 
I mean, just as an artifact of this, eight minutes ago on Facebook, mm. um, I received a note from a friend, and she said, hey, just a quick note to say thanks for all the hope and healing you are allowing God to bring through gravity. My mom is a faithful pod and she has oh, been no. so blessed by you guys. Well, that's great. I mean, I've, I've never heard, I, it's been a while since I heard the term pod but yeah, that's super encouraging. What a, but nice, I think what a nice thought. There's a, there's a great number of you out there, and uh, we do not... We do not take your um, commitment to listening lightly. Yeah. So many other things I take lightly, um, but not that. (laughs) Not that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know what? We just wrapped up our first Gravity Commons Live with Christy Penley. We had had scheduled a conversation with this guy named uh, Dick Rodson. No, No, Rob. Rod Dixon. Rod Dixon. (laughs) That's his name. Rod. Sorry, Rod. Uh, We were uh, Rod Dixon. And we're going to talk about uh, women and minist- uh, women and men together in ministry. And we're going to have like a, a conversation about a book he wrote. But his whole family is sick, and he had to cancel. Yeah. And we're like, "Well, Christy." So Christy did her Five Things podcast, which we'll release here in a week or so. And we had a little conversation with our Gravity Commons live community, and it was beautiful. It yeah. was fun. It was it so was really good. Oh, yep. so you'll hear part of that conversation when we release it publicly. But um, if if you listen to that podcast and you you're like, man, I had things I wanted to talk to Christy about, or I had questions, or mm-hmm. even stories to share that maybe aligned or resonated with what we were sharing, um, mm-hmm. we want to do these Gravity Live uh, conversations once or twice a month. And um, yeah. check out gravitycommonslive.net. Is that it? Nope. nope. That's not it. Okay. Nope. What is it, Ben? <laughs> Give us the website. No, that's, yeah, yeah. So... The- the people who have access to these conversations are members of the Gravity Commons, uh, which we introduced last week, and uh, we're excited that uh, several people have signed up as some of our early uh, mm-hmm. early members. But um, if you go to gravityleadership.com slash commons, it gives you all the info. Um, it's an online community of practice. It's a membership platform uh, for Christians who want to learn together and connect with each other. Um, in the midst of, as I said before, these crazy times, um, it's not uh, straightforward, kind of how to follow Jesus in the midst of resurgent Christian nationalism, um, all the ways that we're discovering that our faith has been intertwined with racism and all mm. kinds of uh, ugly stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, the pandemic, um, you know, it hasn't helped, <laughs> but it's revealed a lot. And um, so anyway, so a lot of people are just looking for others um, who are you know, on a similar page to try to yeah. figure this out together. And so this is a way for us to connect uh, with you all and have these kinds of conversations. We had one with Christy um, mm-hmm. just now that we'll um, release not in a week or so, but about six or seven weeks um, or so. That's, or that's so. How far we're that was covered out. under or so, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah or so, or so, <laughs> or mid-February. So. Yeah. But anyway, um, but yeah, it's having access to these uh, conversations and being able to interact with others in the community um, to share what we're reading together, what we're learning yeah. together, um, meeting up and, and talking about um, just, yeah, the latest stuff that's going on. You also get, a, you know, access to all of our resources, um, all the like video courses and our practitioner podcast and all the other learning lab recordings we've ever done. All of that stuff is uh, available in the commons. So I uh, yeah. would love for you all to check it out. Gravityleadership.com slash commons. Join us. There it is. That's the right Yay. address. Yeah. Yep. And then today, today we have a conversation mm-hmm. with Rod Wilson. 
Yeah. Right? Right on. Yep. About on the three statements, right? Three leadership three statements, statements that statements. can change the world. Three statements that can change the world. This was a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. I had no idea when we scheduled this podcast, uh, the uh, the stuff that wrought it. This guy has done a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it he of, has a lot of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and he's great. wise beyond his years, yeah. I think. Um, yes. I was challenged. I was actually challenged. His three statements, and, and we'll get into this into the podcast, but um, I actually had a conversation over Christmas about that podcast and mm-hmm. um, practiced something that he says in there. Um, so it was, mm-hmm. it's fun. All right. Cool. Yep. Well, should we just get into it then? Yeah. I think so. I think we just we needed to make sure we announced the commons. Hope you guys can join us there. If you're not part of our curated lists uh, newsletter, you can join us at gravityleadership.com slash join. Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, you'll hear some stuff about Gravity Leadership Academy. This is all the stuff we do, guys. All the ways you can be involved. Yep. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it. Let's listen all to right. Rod's these three statements that can change the world. I Here hope we go. You're, let's change the world. I hope you're intrigued. Rod Wilson, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Matt. I'm really excited to be with you today. Yeah, we are too. Uh, We're excited you're here. Uh, Rod is a clinical psychologist. Uh, He's also served as a pastor in three different churches. He's held multiple positions in theological education, including president of Regent College in Vancouver for 15 years. Currently, he works with Lumara Grief and Bereavement Care Society, uh, Erosha. Did I say that right? Erosha? Yeah. Arosha, the Society of yeah. Christian Schools in BC and in Trust Center for Theological Schools and various international mentoring and teaching ministries. Rod, I was going to ask you what else we get to know about you, but I'm not sure you have time for anything else. I just read that. <laughs> and it sounds like you keep pretty busy. I do. Well, should I tell you my, my uh, three hobbies, Matt? Would that be helpful? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about your three hobbies. Yeah. The Bible, American politics, and chocolate. <laughs> So, um, I think a lot of our listeners uh, would could appreciate chocolate and uh, the Bible, but as a Canadian, Rod, uh, how does American politics strike you as a hobby? Well, I've always been interested in what's going on south of our border, and um, I find this binary party system really fascinating because mm-hmm. one of my themes in life is I think the either or rarely works. It's got to be the both end. And so uh, a country that has a two-party system really intrigues me. Hmm. Um, And for decades, I've wondered, can this survive a two-party system? Or is it eventually going to be at a place where it needs three or four, like we have in Canada? And uh, this is not what the podcast is about, but I'm going to prophesy that, that in the next little while, you're going to have more than two parties. Oh, that would be really refreshing, actually. I think most of our uh, listeners yeah. would welcome that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. May yeah. it be so. Uh, Rod, this yeah. is so, yeah. we're going to talk about your book, uh, Thank You, I'm Sorry, Tell Me More, Three Sacred Phrases That Will Change the World. Um, and before we get to that, um, can you tell us about the four political parties, like really quickly in Canada? Like, could you just, like, how, how do they, do Give they position... Do they position on the binary of the U.S., or are they kind of outside that? 
No, they're outside that. I mean, the current uh, party that's in power, the Liberal Party, as per its title, uh, leans uh, somewhat to the left. Uh, then we have the New Democratic Party, the NDP, which leans further left. And then we have the Conservative Party that leans right. And then we have the People's Party, which leans further right. <laughs> and then we have the Green Party, which, as per its name, it's great to have names that actually capture what it's about, isn't it? So the Green Party is an environmentally oriented party. Um, and then the um, Party Quebecois uh, is the party that represents French interests, and it's based in Quebec. So oh, wow. basically, we have five uh, you know, major parties. They're not all as large, but we have five major parties. And then we have some splinter groups as well. But those would be the five. So if you lean left, you have two choices. And if you lean right, you have two choices. Mm. And uh, dare I say it, as an Irish-born Canadian, me thinks that's what you need in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, would welcome some- it. Yeah, I'd welcome it too. And there's something about somebody from outside the U.S. opining on American politics that doesn't arouse yeah. sort of the cantankerous ire that somebody inside yeah, the U.S. True. opining yeah. Yeah. on American yes. politics. That is fascinating. Yeah? Yeah. And the other interesting thing, Matt, for me is that Christians, uh, right across the spectrum of what it means to be Christian, are involved in all of those parties. So there's no alignment uh, with a particular party, given your religious convictions or commitments. And so that I find that really, really refreshing in light of what you deal with. Yes. Uh, I don't believe you, Rod. That doesn't happen. There's no way that can happen. <laughs> you know, we, we, have, we have complicated that in the U.S. Uh, to such a degree that I think when people hear that, um, you can have a Christian and a far left party. It sounds like, uh, it sounds absurd to many people. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's part of the ideology that the U.S. is caught up in that inhibits our imagination and prevents us from seeing what it means to include both and or include faithfulness outside of a prevailing ideology. So yeah. that's thanks for indulging me. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, indulging that's... us. Um, yeah. But this, this, uh, we're actually having you on today to, uh, because you wrote a book that I think is uh, crucial and timely. And it strikes me, I didn't know it was your hobby, uh, American politics, but um, mm. I'm just going to take a guess here, Rod. You were watching uh, U.S. political debates, and you heard uh, the candidates debating each other saying, thank you, I'm sorry, and tell me more so much that you thought you had to write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's part of what you learned from American politics. That's right. What if? What if? What if, right? So yeah. so these three yeah. phrases, thank you, I'm sorry, tell me more. How did you what was the impetus or catalyst for you to write this book? Where did how did this become an important project for you? Yeah. Well, I think on the surface, uh, Matt, those three phrases, thank you, I'm sorry, tell me more, look like a book on manners or etiquette, you know, like we need to teach our children to say thank you and say I'm sorry to your sister after she hit you, you know, or you hit her. Um, But what I'm concerned about is that I think we have identified the problems in the world inaccurately. Like I think a lot of people think our problem is politics. Our problem is ideology. Our problem is a lack of leaders. Our problem is the family. And we have all kinds of foci in those areas. But I think the fundamental problem in the world is relational. And it's about how we relate to people and how we understand people 
And so I work with a lot of leaders around the world and 95% of their problems are relational. Uh, ironically, they're not even theological for people who are in you know, Christian ministry. And so what I think we need more of is gratitude, which is expressed in thank you, remorse, which is expressed in I'm sorry, and care, which is expressed in tell me more. Mm. And so as I was reflecting on these three phrases and thinking about them, and I started watching the world. I mean, we all laughed with your comment about me watching the debates, but the truth is that did play a role in writing the book. Uh, because I find the political system right now, the number of politicians that say genuine thank yous, not like, you know, 25 thank yous when you get off the helicopter at the White House when no one's really watching, not those kind of thank yous, but a genuine expression of gratitude that I am not here on my own. Part of who I am is the influence of other people, and I need to express gratitude to them. And I'm tainted, I'm broken, I'm frail. And so I impact others negatively, and I need to say I'm sorry. And I have a natural preoccupation with my own story. But what's most important is I understand your story. Rather than me telling you more, I need to say, uh, you know, I need to ask you to tell me more rather than me telling you all the things. And I find as a Christian, um, the sad part for me is I find I'm losing faith in a Christian understanding of what it means to treat people well. Um, Bev and I often, we have this little thing in our marriage, uh, you know, we're both committed Christians, but we have this little line in our marriage when we watch something or listen to something, we turn to each other and say, I'm converting to Buddhism. Because uh, I just, this is not my tribe anymore. Like, mm. I think as a Christian, when we don't treat people well, it's a complete denial of who we are. Um, so all of that drove the book, uh, all of those kind of struggles and reflections. And I'm a big believer that simplicity needs to follow complexity. And so I think gratitude, um, and entitlement and remorse and victimization and care and individualism is these are complex cultural issues, but beyond that is the simplicity of those three phrases. Yeah. Yeah, you, you just referenced these things, uh, entitlement, victimization, and individualism. Oh, and, and maybe they're the maladies or pathologies, we could say, for which these other practices are the cure or the healing. Uh, I wonder if you could yeah. speak a bit more to what do you mean by these three things, entitlement, victimization, individualism, and where do they, how do they show up or how do they get carried socially so that we don't necessarily need to wake up every day? and say, come hell or high water, I'm going to be entitled. But rather, yeah. we're socialized or habituated into an entitlement, you know, our whole being is ordered by that. So I wonder, I know it's a big question, but I wonder if you could just yeah. teach us for a bit, teacher. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think part of our task, and I feel pretty strongly about this as a Christian, that I think Christians need to exegete or explain or understand three things. They need to understand what they believe about God, they need to understand themselves and they need to understand the culture. And I think, you know, that's another whole topic, but the exegesis of God, self and culture to me is the mandate of what it means to be Christian. So when I look at the culture generally, I see these threads of entitlement, victimization and individualism. And for me, the three phrases that tie in with those 
three cultural trends is entitlement is really I deserve it, which is the antithesis of thank you. Like when I say I deserve something, uh, what I'm saying is that I'm the kind of person who on a justifiable basis needs to have things come my way. So I deserve a holiday. I deserve a house. I deserve easy credit. I deserve to live in the, in the suburbs. Uh, I deserve uh, credit cards. And if you know, all you need to do is watch advertising, visual or auditory advertising. That's what advertising appeals to. Like you deserve to live in this community. Uh, or you drive by a sign in a new neighborhood and say, you deserve to live here. And it's like, says who? Like, what do you mean I deserve it? Like, I don't, I don't need to walk around in my life and say I deserve everything. I need to have an expression of gratitude, which is a recognition. It's not all about me. It's actually, I need to thank others for who I am. Hmm. So I think entitlement's rooted in infancy where, you know, I don't know if the three of you have children, but I know when our daughter was very young in the, in the crib and I changed her diaper, she didn't sit up in the bed and go, thank you. Like, I really appreciate that stellar diaper change you just gave me, <laughs> gave me. I'm very grateful. Like, she doesn't say that. She just lies there. And when she wants a diaper change, she wants to be fed. She just cries and yells and screams. And when she gets a bit older, she goes, mommy, daddy, you know, at the top of her lungs. And she deserves it. She's an infant that's helpless. And she is entitled. But my concern is, I think a lot of us don't get past that infancy. There's still lots of standing up in the crib and crying from adults hmm. um, and screaming and, you know, feed me, soothe me, look after me. I'm entitled. I think that weaves its way through the culture in significant ways. The second one, victimization, I think the phrase that fits with that one is it's not my fault. Um, and so the social sciences in which I'm trained, so I'm not speaking totally negatively about them, have given us a lexicon or a vocabulary to explain why we did things. So, you know, Christy, if I do something nasty to you or speak nasty to you, I could say, well, you know, Christy, it's because I'm an immigrant. You know, I was born in Ireland and immigrated to North America. And, you know, I've had some family dysfunction in my family. And that's really influenced who I am. And, you know, I'm Irish. So, you know, Irish people have problems with anger. So really, Christy, like, I don't need to say I'm sorry to you. Like, it's really not my fault. It's actually my culture, my background, my history, my family. And so it's not my fault is the complete antithesis to a genuine expression of remorse and to say I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, so I love, Matt, what you said earlier. I don't think we get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm going to be victimized. But we develop that kind of language that I am the recipient I don't know if you remember the story of Stella Liebeck, uh, the woman who went to McDonald's uh, in the 90s and spilled her coffee on her lap, yeah. was severely burned. And the interesting thing in that legal case was that McDonald's was held partially responsible for her burn and had to pay. And since that moment in the 90s, almost every coffee shop in North America has made their coffee cooler. <laughs> because of that case. Because if you have really hot coffee at Starbucks or wherever you go for your coffee, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, you run the risk as a coffee shop, you'll get sued if somebody spills it. <laughs> so the, the sense of I can hold others responsible and I can say it's not my fault is so different than I'm sorry. And then the last one, I think we all carry a notion that my story matters most. 
Like I'm a big narrative story person. And so like, I want you to listen to my story. Like there's something exhilarating about being on a podcast with three other people and you're letting me tell my story and talk about my book. Like there's a good thing in that and it's virtuous, but there's something sorted in this as well. Like there's four of us on the call. Why do I get to take up all the verbal space? Like, why do I get to talk the most? Well, what that means is I have a deep feeling that my story matters most. And I love it when you listen to me. But when I say, tell me more, I'm saying like, Ben, tell me more. Like, who are you? What are you, know, you got to, this involvement you have in this podcast and with Gravity Leadership and, you know, I've read a bit of your story online and I think, tell me more about that story, Ben. It's really interesting how you developed in this ministry and how you're dealing with leaders and how you've negated something and you've left something and you're cleaving to something else. Like, tell me more about that, Ben. Well, okay, here we that go. to me. Oh, <laughs> oh I yeah. thought you were really asking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm you're afraid right, of these right, illustrations. Right. It does feel good. It feels great. <laughs> yeah, <to be> asked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But see, but yeah. basically I don't care now, Ben, because I'm talking, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was just so, an example. This is my that's show. That's an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just illustrating. And I'm not saying I'm sorry. Like I deserve to be listened to. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you um, go. Yeah. Yeah. So I find Christians, and you know, some of your listeners may be offended by this. I hope most won't. But I find Christians are so bad at these three things. Mm-hmm. Like, just say thank you. Don't make yeah. it all about you. Just say I'm sorry and acknowledge you've hurt somebody. And stop preaching and teaching and telling. Ask people their story. Mm-hmm. Let them open up and let and say, tell me more, a whole lot more than you tell them. And our major modes of communication as Christians is teaching and preaching, which are not about listening to other people's stories at all. So that's a long answer, Matt, to your question. But that's, again, I think you're right. We don't get up in the morning and plan to be entitled and victimized and individualized, but it's the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. And it just comes so naturally. And so I would argue, thank you, I'm sorry, tell me more, is a ton of work and a deep sense of sacrifice for the benefit of the other. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. The thing I appreciate about um, the way that you put this is that um, you, you actually give us phrases. You give us things to say rather than feelings to have, you know? So your book isn't, yeah. you guys should feel more thankful and be less entitled and less individualistic, you know? Like, yeah. it's three things to do. And I, I appreciate that because I think that's, like, it's really simple um, you know, our words are connected to our attitudes, right? And so even yeah. if we're not feeling particularly thankful, if I say thank you, there's yeah. something that happens in me that begins to feel thankful, right? Yeah. If I Absolutely. say, tell me more, 
there's something in me that begins to be actually curious about another person uh, and yeah. want to hear their story. And so I think there's a ver- there's a vicious cycle we get caught in where we see the stuff on TV and we, you know what I mean? Like all the stuff that you talked about, all these cultural influences and, yeah, but there's a virtuous cycle that we can that we can engage in as well, where our speech begins to inform. You know, it, it, like James says, uh, it's the rudder, right? Our tongue yeah. becomes the rudder that steers steers our life. So yeah, well, and, and then there's just some... a comment. Sorry, no, I, you I'm go sorry, for it. Christy. Tell, tell me, me more, more. Rod. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning already, Rod. We're learning we are, already. yeah. No, I was going to say, like, just to, to piggyback on what you said there, Ben, the neuroscience world is interesting in this regard, because I think 30 years ago, we believed that actually the way to change is to change your insides and your attitudes, so then it will be expressed behaviorally. I think yes. what we're learning in neuroscience now, particularly with neuroplasticity of the brain, is when you do things, you change. And yes. so the repetition of behaving actually brings internal change, which then reinforces more behavior. So let me give you, a, I, I read a little chapter in the book on this, and it's, it's gratitude towards toilet cleaners. So for years, when I went into a restroom in an airport or a building or a church or wherever it was, and I saw people cleaning the toilet, my attitude was one of entitlement. I deserve this. Um, you know, I've got lots of education, I've had lots of lofty roles, lots of privileged life. And so, you know, these poor toilet cleaners, you know, who make a lot less than me or lower socioeconomic status, often different ethnic group. I just walked by them and thought, yep, it's good there's somebody here to clean toilets because I'm way beyond that. And then Mm -hmm. I started realizing, why do you not thank toilet cleaners for what they're doing in an airport? Like, why don't you do that? And I thought, I have no idea. Like, there's a subtlety in that. But I thought, I'm going to start doing that. So probably 10 or 15 years ago, I started thanking toilet cleaners on a regular basis. And it's generated all kinds of interesting interactions. Most of them, they're stunned. Like, you (laughs) could just feel like I'm the first person ever to say thank you for cleaning the toilet. Um, But what that's done for me is when I see people who, you know, give out tickets or sweep the streets or pick up garbage and all these things that we think are less than now I say, thank you. And I see them as people with dignity, creating the image of God who happen to be doing a job that I would say is beneath me, but actually I need them to do that job. And I want to express gratitude because it benefits me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you hit on something there about seeing people as people. Right. Mm-hmm. And and what yeah. I like about these three phrases is that it doesn't matter what age you are. Um, yeah. This this engages the relationship, whether it's a child, a teenager in your marriage with a coworker. Um, it doesn't matter. These these three phrases um, help do a mental shift and then hopefully a heart shift. Right. Yeah. Uh, in us as we interact with with those around us. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, and I think, Christy, when you're saying that of my, you know, sometimes people say to me, like, do you have any children? I'll say, yes, we have one daughter. And, oh, tell me about your daughter. And I say, well, she was born hydrocephalic. She had water on the brain and she's had nine neurosurgeries and she started puberty when she was two because of problems with the pituitary gland. And she has frontal lobe brain damage and she's uh, on the high end of the autism spectrum 
and has a genius IQ. And when I finish that, what I notice in other people's face is they feel like they have to say something brilliant or in order to acknowledge me, they have to give me solutions. And some do like, you know, well, have you been to this massage therapist or have you tried this pill on from a 1-800 number? And all I want them to say is tell me more because what they're doing is saying like, like say, tell me, tell me more. What's it like to be a dad of a child with all those disabilities and liabilities? Like, tell me more about that. Like yes. to me, that's really values me as a person. Yeah. But if you have a solution or an idea or a website that I should watch because it'll solve all of her problems, uh, I don't feel like a person. I just feel like a, a pawn for you to provide a solution. So I think yeah. you're right, Christy. I think this valuing of the person and the dignity of the human person is so important. Mm. Yeah. Rod, have you ever thought about going into business for yourself? No, th this is this is a big <laughs> part of I think what we were talking about before we hit play. You mentioned that <clears throat> a lot of pastors don't get fired for their theology, yeah, but they get fired because they can't say these three things. Can yeah. you unpack that a bit more? Why is this not just why these aren't just good things we could learn to add to our tool belt, but they actually are fundamentally vital to being flourishing humans. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I think Matt, the, uh, I mean, this is a huge subject probably for another podcast in some ways, but just briefly, I, I think one of the problems in leadership generally, and certainly with pastors in particular is most pastors and most Christian leaders have overdeveloped spiritual and theological understanding. And I spent a lot of my life in theological education. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's what pastors and Christian leaders do. They get theological education, which I applaud. I think that's really good. It's really important. But the relationship of biography to theology, I don't think is talked about enough. Mm. So theology, my understanding of God, biography, my understanding of me, mm. uh, for me is summarized in the relationship of the human to the spiritual. And so... I have spent my, I mean, my formative life question is what does the human have to do with the spiritual? That's really the question that has plagued me for most of my life. I've tried to answer that in different ways through training in theology, training in psychology, training in English literature. I'm trying to ask the question, what does the human have to do with the spiritual? Hmm. I say this respectfully, but I find most Christian leaders do not ask that question. They ask the question of how can I be more spiritual? How can I know my Bible more? How can I deepen my theology? How can I understand how to be a better leader? Um, and what they leave out is the biographical part of them, uh, who they are. What does it mean to be human? Do you live a life of gratitude? Do you live a life of remorse? Do you live a life of care? Um, and do you receive that from people? I mean, when I was a pastor, I had people give me superficial thank yous, but not in-depth thank yous all the time, with detail. Um, rarely do people come to a pastor and say, I'm sorry. Uh, they demand it of you, like you need to say sorry for us, but people don't say I'm sorry to them. And how many pastors and Christian leaders here tell me more? Um, very few do. Like people don't want to know the story behind what you're doing. All they want to talk about is the impact it's had on them. Like I learned in pastoral ministry, when somebody said, you know, I have a concern in Greek, what that means is they're about to criticize me, <laughs> right. right? Like that's what right. it really means. 
That's what, and that's what the I got like I have a physiological reaction to the word concern <laughs> because it's sort of a Christian version of slam dunk. I'm going to I'm going to put you out of your misery here and beat you up um, like that's what that's what I experienced as a leader. So I think in the leadership space, which is where the three of you work, I think the giving and receiving of these three things is missing. Yeah. which means the humanity is missing. And I think this is a lot of where leadership falls, leadership decline, leadership challenges come from, that the human is not well understood. Yeah. And that's where people are getting in trouble. Mm. Well, it seems like we want to minimize sometimes our humanity um, yeah. or we want to promote it. It's so interesting. It go, It's like a pendulum mm. swing, right? Yeah. But all three of these phrases take – a foundation of humility. Yeah. You can't yeah. say thank you or I'm sorry or tell me more and be full of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's good. Yeah. And I love, uh, Christy, I love C.S. Lewis's definition of humility, um, of self-forgetfulness. Like mm. humility is really, it's not negating yourself. It's actually yeah. focusing on the other. And I think you're right. Like to say, thank you, I'm sorry, tell me more is to really acknowledge the other and have more of a humble attitude yourself. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm struck too. Um, I don't know if this may t- take us uh, too far afield, but I, it's it keeps coming to mind. But uh, I'm struck too by th- how each of these phrases, um, Rod, are are the the opposite right that you t- that you talked about is rooted in a profound insecurity yeah. about who I am right yeah. and so even yeah. the phrase like you use this phrase Christy f- being full of yourself i think it's a little bit of a misnomer because you know i think i think actually and this is what we're learning about you know say narcissists as well is that they're not they don't they're not full of themselves they're enamored with their own image because they're so deeply insecure Yes. Right, so they're always having to think about how they're coming across, and they're always having to make sure that they are, uh, you know, receiving things that make them feel entitled because they 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 have so little self worth. You know, they they actually yeah. don't think they matter much, and so they they're constantly looking for outside people and circumstances to prove that they matter. Whereas these phrases come from a place of solid security that, oh, of course, I matter. Of course I belong. Of course I'm significant. Um, and that yeah. actually empowers me to thank you, right, for, for what you're doing yeah. for me. That actually empowers yeah. me to listen to you and to be curious about you. That actually empowers me um, yeah. to, uh, what was the other phrase? Uh, apologize, right? I don't, yeah, I don't have to exactly. be right to be okay. Like I can be yeah. wrong and still be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's well said. Yeah. Because I think the the other part of this, uh, Ben, that I talk a bit about in the book is that in power relationships, what we want to do is make sure those beneath us say these things to us. Like, I want everyone (laughs) to say thank you to me. I'm sorry. Tell me more. But because I'm so powerful and I'm so above you, I'm not going to deign to ever say to you, thank you. I'm sorry. And tell me more. So, you know, sometimes in power relationships with people who are obsessed with their power, they actually don't say that to other people. And, you know, I talk a little bit in the book about narcissistic personality disorder and leadership and how a lot of narcissistic leaders have real trouble saying they're sorry. And it is driven by insecurity. I think you're exactly right. But if you can't say I'm sorry, 
there's a self-preoccupation there driven by insecurity that suggests you have a major problem. And that's why I think parents need to be really careful that they don't teach their children to say these phrases because children should learn it, but they actually embody it as parents. And a child knows what it's like for the parent to say, thank you, I'm sorry, tell me more. Like my daughter's 34, I still apologize to her and still thank her and still say, tell me more. Um, but the, the power dynamic would say, I'm the dad, she's the daughter. I need to receive all of these from, things from her because I'm insecure about being a parent. Yeah. 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 Uh, we have, uh, we're going to wind down here with a couple more questions, Rod, but I've been thinking about a way to phrase this question and you just brought up power. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to talk my way into asking this question and maybe you can help me ask a better question and then take a shot at answering it. But I, I think, yeah. I think then, so you mentioned the narcissistic, let's just say a narcissistic pastor who refuses yeah. to take responsibility for anything. When they're accused of wrongdoing, they, they play the victim. They, they Darvo, they do, they gaslight, they do all the sort of, all the tricks of the narcissist to refuse to take responsibility and refuse to own wrongdoing. Um, but then you have somebody like, um, somebody who's powerless, maybe less power, maybe someone who's, um, whose spouse, um, maybe they're, they're the victim of domestic violence. Um, and, and they get brought into a room with their partner. Let's say it's a female. She gets brought into a room with her, with her husband and, and the fem- and the male pastor. And, um, and there's a confession, and now and now this woman is expected to put away the wrongdoing and to not bring it up again, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I know you've heard this too, Rod, of like, we can't acknowledge that you're a domestic uh, violence survivor because then you'll have this victimization identity. And my concern Ooh. is, is that we... We have to find a way to talk about this with agility and with wisdom so that we don't gaslight real victims, that they can't actually yeah. say, hey, I have PTSD from this narcissistic abusive person. And I know you're not saying yeah. I, can't, I can't talk about actual trauma I have or I can't talk about actual abuse I've suffered. But how do you navigate that? How is the I'm sorry victimization question different for a person with power? than a person who has been hurt by power? Yeah. No, great question. Uh, And I love that model you've just given, Matt, of thinking your way into a question. That's a a great model. Um, I... um, so thank you for that, and I'm I'm sorry that I've taken too long, but you can tell me more about that some other time. Uh. Um, (laughs) But I give it... I tell a story in this book... uh, And help me remember, I want to say something about story before we finish this. Um, I give an example in the book where my wife and I go to chiropractors uh, and have most of our lives. So my wife went to a chiropractor a number of years ago. And in the warm-up, you know, sort of the massaging the muscles before the treatment, uh, the chiropractor pushed down on my wife's back and there was a big crack. And the chiropractor was stunned and Bev was stunned and in pain. And she had broken a rib. Uh, as a result of doing it. Well, she felt terrible. Like in a litigious oh. culture, especially, she felt really terrible. And, you know, she apologized and apologized and apologized. She came to our house that night with flowers and more apologies. And my wife woke up the next morning and guess what? She still had a broken rib. 
which needed help, needed healing, needed attention, because the transaction that created the problem was over, but the consequences remained. And those consequences needed attention. In that case, they needed other kinds of therapy, other kinds of healing. And I've dealt with a lot of uh, situations with abuse. And uh, just one short story here, a woman who came to me was getting beat up by her husband quite regularly, Christian couple, you know, very spiritual, to go back to our word again, very spiritual, but his understanding of humanity was slim to none. And in the meeting, uh, she said to me, I said, like, how do you feel about the fact he beats you up and particularly punches you in the face? Like, how do you feel about that? And she said, well, I, like, he doesn't bruise me and he does apologize. And I said, so let's let's just stop here for a moment. And what I want to do is I want to say back to you what you just said. Uh, he doesn't bruise me. And he said, I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, and she said, I guess that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? And I said, uh, I'm not sure I'd use that word, but yes, it does. Um, and this is very typical of women who've been abused, mm. right? He said, I'm sorry. So now it's my job to get over it. Mm. And there's a rationalization. You know, I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. Like I deserve to be beat up or I deserve to be punched. And I would argue that if a husband's punching his woman in the face and he says, I'm sorry, the test of I'm sorry is not a warm feeling about what you have done. It's a new commitment to what you're going to do. And this is the biblical word metanoia, which around repentance, it's not feel bad about history. It's about change your ways in the future. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry in abuse and I talk about this in the book a little bit, I'm sorry in abuse needs to be contextualized really careful. And my advice to people who are abused and the other person saying I'm sorry is the most loving thing is not accept the I'm sorry. Because love is doing what's in the best interest of the other. And if, you, if your abuser says I'm sorry and keeps abusing and you keep accepting the apology, you're enabling the abuser and the abuser is not really sorry. Um, now I say all of that simply, if you've got listeners that are in the midst of abuse right now, some of that's going to sound unempathic and insensitive because I've missed the nuances of their situation, but we've got to be really careful that I'm sorry is genuine. And it's not like, you know, the athlete or the Hollywood entertainer, you know, I, I just want to say, I'm sorry to my fans for the multiple affairs I've had in the last 10 years. Mm. And, uh, you know, I hope you'll forgive me. It's like, well, I'm not quite sure that's enough yeah, yeah. to talk about the future. Yeah, you're speaking to the the need to make repair, to rectify what's been yeah. what's been wronged. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I heard yeah. uh, someone once who was this was an online interaction, and it was someone who uh, was trying to hold somebody who was, I think, verbally abusing people accountable. And the verbally abusive person said something kind of like you were saying, like, I, "I'm sorry." Um, which is which is a Christian habit we yeah. have, right? Um, and yeah. and this yeah. woman simply replied to him, "I don't believe you." Mm, and I yeah. I thought at the time it struck me as a deep transgression of these agreements we've made, Rod, to accept easy yeah. apologies without repairing wrongs. Um. But, exactly. but I think that she yeah. was doing good work in that mm -hmm. setting, and it, it created a new imagination for the thing you're talking about. So I'm really glad that you addressed that.
um, in the context of this yeah. book. Yeah. And now we've got, you know, Matt, we've got these little phrases we use now, like my bad, you know, like I do something terrible to you and I go, Oh Matt, my bad. And I think, Oh, now it's over. Well, I haven't even talked to you about the impact it's had on you. So how do I know right. what influence I've had on you? And you need right. to tell me more about that before I can say a genuine, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear you naming, I'm sorry is, is wrapped up in a lot of, you know, rectifying the wrong and, you know, understanding how my words impacted you. I mean, and my actions, like rather than I think the, the colloquial colloquial way of saying, I'm sorry, is sort of like my bad, which is sort of like, Hey, let me off the hook. Everybody makes mistakes, you know, like stop, stop hassling me about this. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, Rod, um, I do want to give you a chance to talk about story. Um, you, you, you have this book is written, I think, in a really accessible way, meaning they're they're very short chapters that deal with aspects of each of these phrases and practices, um, and and you take you make social science and theology and psychology, I think, extremely accessible to an everyday reader. That's the strength of I think of this book. Um, and you talk about story in in the book. It's a whole section. And I wonder, you know, you said you wanted to make yeah. a comment. So I just want to give you a chance to do that about the importance of story. Yeah. Yeah, this is about uh, other writers and other leaders and people like the three of you with the work you're doing. I just feel the culture has moved into a place where um, story is not very important to a lot of people. And I think, you know, the culture is still dominated by baby boomers like me. And I think we've done some good things for the culture, but I think we've done some really poor things for the culture. We're very much about doing and performing and being successful and climbing the ladder and all those good things that boomers do. But I think story needs to be resurrected. Uh, the Bible is a story. Um, that's, that's what the biblical text is. Uh, the revelation of Jesus is a story. I mean, God didn't send concepts or ideology or 10-point sermon. sent a person with a story. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of my generation is, you know, upset and concerned that, you know, people aren't reading anymore and they're not reading big books and they're not reading long chapters. And there's all this woe-begone sort of approach to the way the culture's going and what I've tried to do in this book, I mean, the book's only 35,000 words, but it has 64 chapters. Right. And each of the chapters is around 400 words. And I was talking to a millennial the other day, and we were talking about my book. And she said, so you're telling me, like, I could read one chapter in, like, five minutes and then put the book down? And I said, absolutely. That's what this book's going to do because it's just yeah, stories. It it's a whole bunch of stories and situations. And I'm trying to pull out a little wisdom from the story. And you can put it down and not come back for a few months. So I think more of us who've got training and experience and education and all the rest of it need to go more story, more short, and more accessible. Like I just feel like that's really, really important. You don't have to dumb it down, but it's that simplicity beyond the complexity. Like do your hard work, but then do your pedagogical work and your methodology work where people can access yes. it. So I wish more people would write shorter books that are simple after complex. Yes. Anyone can write 80,000 words on forgiveness and self-righteousness, but not everyone can tell the yeah. parable of the prodigal son. Um, exactly. Yes. 
I hear you. Yeah. Well, Rod, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. The book is Thank You, I'm Sorry, Tell Me More, How to Change the World with Three Sacred Sayings. Rod, if people want to find you out there on the wild, wild west, known as the World Wide Web, how could they do it? Internet. I think the best way uh, that people connect with me is through Amazon. If they just uh, put me, my name and Amazon, Rod Wilson, they'll come to various things that I've done, various things that I'm involved in, where I am. So that's probably the most direct route that's most accessible to most people. Great. Well, Rod, thanks yeah. for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the invitation and I enjoyed connecting with you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.